To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. This episode is also brought to you by pbandjoey.com. Simple, honest, and delicious. Go to pbandjoey.com for the all-new dark roast coffee. That's pbandjoey.com for more information. pbandjoey.com. Hey, folks, open an account today with Weeble, and with just a $100 deposit, you'll get four free stocks. And if you refer a friend, you'll get two more. Such a simple way to start a portfolio with the power of a desktop, tablet, or cell phone. With Weeble, you'll get zero commission fees, access to pre-market trading, and in-depth analytical tools for more advanced users. If you want to support this program, go to positivesarcasm.com, click on the Weeble banner in the contact section. That way, I'll get free stocks and you'll get free stocks. Now, that's something most of us can agree on. Terms and conditions do apply. See Weeble.com for more information. Thank you to Weeble, and please trade responsibly. Board housewives, so they're generally hitting the Moscato too because they need something sweet in their lives because their husband is sour. That ring on your finger? Some pygmy died digging that out of a hole for you to say I do and ruin some guys like, yeah, look at that dude. He's got a hernia shaped like a bag of pretzels that he just ate. You're going to Thailand, you're going to smash some dude. Going over there for guy time, but it's not with his buddies. What does it say on the bottle? Well, if it says that on the bottle, why did you put it on your head? All these actors did was shut their mouths because they didn't want to be run out of Hollywood. Now a bad batch of Chinese food has you blowing insurance premiums on vitamin f***ing D. Too much. That's who we're I sound like Bill Maher. Really, John? Really? We can't do this anymore, auntie. I'll see you at the bar mitzvah. It's almost like it never existed. But it fucking did. So do me a favor. Go yourself. Jay here, PositiveSarcasm.com. Recorded here from the sandbox. Like, subscribe, share. If you happen to be uh, on Instagram, you can find me at positive underscore sarcasm. If you happen to be on Facebook, I'm at, P- at POS Sarcasm. Facebook.com slash POS Sarcasm or uh, personal uh, positive sarcasm. Excuse me. Facebook.com slash positive sarcasm. If you just happen to be on social media, you know, if you're not, you know what? Good for you. Good for you. Uh, TikTok at positive sarcasm. <clears throat> excuse me. Eh. Still got a raw throat from this week. If you want to support this podcast and all things PS, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Questions, concerns, comments, you can do one of two ways. You can uh, hit me up on my website. Go to the contact section of positivesarcasm.com and you can email, you can con- fill, you can put your info in there and off it goes to the magic email box. Or if you want to hit that box directly, that came out wrong, you can still email me directly, positivesarcasm at Outlook dot com um found this hat since this is a fully furnished apartment um like like, there's just random stuff in here you know there's like a schlitz beer glass i found this hat uh just somewhere in one of these drawers i'm like huh cool well i mean i don't think it's cool but uh if i wanted to talk about like serious subjects i'm pretty sure this is not the capper i'd be putting on my noggin but I want to keep it a little bit light this week. Um, I only have like one serious article on here, and yet we have yet to go through the Q&A. But as usual, like I said, anything anything and everything PS-related, go to positivesarcasm.com. I got a bunch of, I dropped a bunch of new clips on my, on my social medias. I got to put one more up later to uh, finish out the week, and then uh, I'll be heading up to the uh, New Hampshire's beautiful Lakes region area for the weekend. Um... I've been doing like an on and off thing here. I have to admit, okay, so I've officially been here for, um, you know, a couple months now. And this is the nicest, kindest, uh, most approachable mix of people that I've ever come across where I'm currently residing. Because it's such an eclectic mix of village folk, blue collar, white collar, tra- uh, uh, people on vacation, weekend getaways, uh, people just visiting, it, it, people on business, it, people walking their dogs, just saying hi. It's just so great. Like, 
everybody's so much friendlier down here. Like the mix of how many people are cool as opposed to how many people are not cool. It's so mu the ratio is so much better down here. I cannot tell you how much I expected a certain thing when I came down here, when I finally made it down here. And that little taste I got earlier in the year is not only keeping up with that that taste, but it's gone beyond that. And the people you wouldn't expect to be talking to, they just, they want to talk to you. They want to talk to you. They want to engage with you. They want to tell you all these things. And it's different kinds of people. And it's, it's really great um, to know that uh, people are still socializing in a, in a kind manner. People are still, you know, meeting their dogs and, and, and walking by each other, but with, without any animosity, at least in this region per se. I mean, I don't know what's going on across the border uh, in, in the other state. All I can tell you is right here, everything seems to be fine. Everybody seems to be helping, helpful, doing their own thing, taking the year and, and all of its, everything that's attached to it um, with their own stride, with, their, with the best of their abilities. You see some people out here, I mean, you're like, why are you wearing them? It's like, Look, at this point, you got to let people... People have been so traumatized from the past couple of years. you got to let people's psyche breathe at this point. People have been cooped up. Some people have fled from other states. They're basically California refugees, New York refugees, Illinois refugees, Pacific uh, Northwest refugees, Canadian refugees, for God's sakes. They need to breathe. They mentally need to breathe. They mentally need to get out there, and there, some people they need to do it in in really tiny baby steps. Some people just need to get drunk and pass out on the intersection, on the interstate. It, everybody's gonna have their own way of dealing with the past couple of years, and with everything that's going on right now. So I see people, and if they're doing something that's just I know is flat out asinine, like wearing a mask outside. You know what? I get it. I totally get it. There's a lot of crazy information out there right now. You're not, and you don't, you may not think that you're in the best state of health, and maybe you're not. But at this point, it's like, I don't need to make an assumption, an out loud assumption about somebody right now. I just want these people to be out and taking the next step towards some sort of normalcy or putting what pieces of their life back together that they can as they can. So us it's really important that us in, in these regions, whether it's um, Texas or or Florida or or New or New Hampshire or or Maine, that you the people that are coming to your state that are from other areas, that are just trying to dip their toes back into society, when they see what's going on here, they may not necessarily bring all the problems. I think it's because maybe they may not bring necessarily bring all the problems that, that were going on with their state with them. Because I think they may be so traumatized by all the bullshit that took place in their state, they quite truly may not want to bring it here. They may, they may truly not. They may have been so broken. They left. They left and came here. I don't care what anybody says. To pack up your entire life and move it, whether it's uh, uh, you know, a couple hours away or 3,000 miles away is a lot. And for some people to basically borderline flee or maybe they made the deal of a century... They still have to pack up and leave, and it's very traumatizing for them to get here and see that everything's open, that a lot of rules and regulations are relatively loose, that we're just going about our day. Now, we still have some things here and there, uh, 
in terms of rules and regulations because we have a, an eclectic mix of people up here in, in my state anyways you know like for example contractors can't go into certain hospitals because those stupid fucking hospitals require that you be vaccinated it's like alright well good luck finding people to uh, fix these very specific problems or just leave them broken we don't care um and yeah, there are some, there's some, they're masking rules in, in, in certain places. Like some businesses, very, very, very few still ask that you wear one. And the owner will do that. Maybe it's because they just, they have an, a different crowd in that place. But things are just moving along and grooving along. And bars are open. Restaurants are open. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's having a good time. People are at the beach. They're walking day, morning, noon, night. They're having a grand old time. Everything is okay up here. So those people that are kind of dipping their toe back in the, the, the water per se, um, it's okay. You know, everybody down here is so much nicer that it takes the stress off of me and it takes the stress off the locals to want to be nice to those who are getting acclimated to being like oh my you know maybe we should kind of go walk around and see how things are and it's like oh okay we're creating that environment where here you shouldn't have anything to worry about and if maybe you do you still don't concern yourself with it but nobody's it's so great down here that i invite you to come check it out i do i per it's like a personal invitation Go look around. There's so many great... There's so much great food. There's so many great bars and taverns. And it's not all here. You know what's funny is I, I would go as far as to say is... The restaurants and the bars... Well, the restaurants mainly... on Right on the uh, right on the seacoast, right on the waterline... Are overrated compared to the stuff that you do if you take a five-minute drive into actual town. When you leave the village district and you actually go into town... There's so much food, so much commerce, so much stuff going on, and it's all delicious. It's all wonderful. And despite the the the, the, the supply chain issues and everything like that, you could still get quality food at quality prices. They're still doing the best they can to accommodate customers, whether at cost or a little bit higher than normal. They're doing what they can, and people are more than happy. To, to, to deal to, to work with that and you know thankfully you know I know gas prices are still a little crazy over here we'll talk about that in a minute but people are still moving people are still got shit to do trying to get their mind off of things by going out and going shopping and getting ready for the holidays hopefully there's no issue with that um, and everybody down here just seems nicer so I invite you to come here and check out the town area, whether it's Hampton Falls or or the town of actual town of Hampton or Hampton Beach itself, or to take a drive through beautiful Rye and look at all the, the beautiful architecture of the homes there that have been there for a very long time, or just take a drive on the actual seacoast on, on o Ocean Avenue or Atlantic Avenue or whatever, and take a drive and just enjoy that sunrise or midday or sunset. And then maybe make your way down over to Portsmouth, which is right on the border there, and check out that, you know, historic district and some of the food that's being offered down there. Go to the Dolphin Striker. Go to the, the cigar shop. Go, go, uh, go chill out by the river and have a drink. Go there. This is what life should be like. This is what life is like here. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. It's joyous. And no outside source has any right to take that away. And I think once you see what is taking place here in my state, that I wondered about for so long if I was ever going ever gonna to live here, continue living here, well, I can tell you that for now, this is an area, this particular area, is where I truly call home. Like, I completely ignore 
the rest of the state for the most part. A little bit of the lakes region. But I am all done with the cities. If you are from the cities, get out. There's nothing there for you. There's plenty of commerce, and if you need a job, there's plenty of commerce, industrial, entrepreneurships, access to whatever you need right here in the seacoast. There's so much there's so much potential for you. And if you need Boston, it's right down the road. If you need Maine, it's 25 minutes away. It's all there for you. You know, the beautiful New Hampshire mountains, they're two hours north. You got airports, you got access to everything here. And let's hope that it stays that way and that no outside sources push any unneeded influence on what's going on here in our beautiful state and in your beautiful state if you live in Texas or you live in Florida. I hope it stays that way for you guys as it has for us. It took us a little while, but we got there faster than others, that's for damn sure, and things have been great. But my overall impression as I've been here for a couple months finally in an area I dreamed about for the past 10 years is everybody's wonderful. And it's so great to walk every morning in that sunrise and go for walks with my best bud and just take that in for what it is. It's something that is overlooked and um, underappreciated. It's so great. So I invite you to just come try it. Come try it for a few months. Come if you're in the, if you have a chance, do like a winter rental and just chill out here for a while and and see if this little area, this little gem of an area is something that could suit you in the long term. Because I truly do think that eventually um prices will start to even out or something will happen for that matter. Now I know that the pro my biggest concern is that with this becoming such a hot spot for real estate, everybody wanting to move here, well, how fast are we going to be able to build or sell or make room or what have you? Well, that's a good question. The, the prices of houses here have gone up significantly, and we're not a huge area. And we're one of the, the few states that's truly like, you do you. You do you, you live your life, and you run your business. So, with all that being said, I love it here. I hope to stay in this area for as long as possible. And if I do have to leave, it will be a heartbreaking experience. But most likely, I'll be going to either Texas or Florida. And that's my overall plan. If I have to leave New Hampshire, I will go to either Texas or Florida. Most likely Florida. If I have to leave the country, I'm probably going to Norway. Because I'll basically have had it with the United States. Because it just isn't what it, it's supposed to be. Free and opportunistic. So, um, with that being said, I, did, I know that um, gas prices are a little stupid right now. Next to our, you know, mostly because of our retard in command. And uh, his bag of cronies. So I did have some articles that I wanted to talk to you about. Just in general about if you're thinking about getting an electric car. So there's the Toyota Corolla uh, a hybrid. There is the Chevy Volt. There's, of course, the entire fleet of Teslas. There's the Prius. There are a few other cars. There's the Nissan Leaf. There is the Ford Mustang Mach-E, which is basically a Ford Escape or for Explorer, um, but still, it is an electric car. It is has its perks. Um, and there are a few other companies that are offering electric cars. Now, what is the actual value of it? Because right now, price and depending upon what, where you live, what you in, you know, how far you have to travel, depending upon your region, it could be more it could be more efficient to own a gas-powered vehicle or a diesel-powered vehicle. And in some instances, it might be better. For you to own an electric car or both depending upon what you do but there's an article here uh, i got it from dig this is uh courtesy of uh freep.com 
let me just go ahead and pop that up. We'll chat right into it. And then I want to talk really quickly after that about what Toyota is doing with hydrogen power. And then we'll go ahead and maybe get into some Q&A. By the way, if you want to support the podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. So uh, this first article, courtesy of Freep.com, uh, Pang Che Ho, I believe is the new article, a new study from consulting firm Anderson Economic Group showed that it's more costly to charge an electric vehicle compared to gasoline costs for an internal combustion engine. Now, I'm not saying whether or not this should change your mind about buying an electric car or not, but it is something to take, to take into account because even though it gets amazing range, you still have to charge the vehicle, depending upon which car it is and what options come with it. So, the, the, the lead. According to the study, there are other costs to driving an electric vehicle beyond the price of electricity, including the price of a home charger, commercial charging, the annual EV top tax, and the time cost spent looking for a reliable public charger. However, I think as time goes on, you're going to be seeing a lot more electrical chargers uh, as long as as long as it's not like a member. I don't know. Depending upon if, if you own like a, a, a Toyota Prius, can you plug into a Tesla charger or whatnot? I know that um, Iceland just did a ring of charges around this entire country. Not a big country, but still. Uh, the key details. The study found a mid-price combustion engine vehicle getting 33 miles per gallon. And petrol vehicles nowadays are getting an amazing fuel efficiency. Uh, basically, getting 33 miles per gallon would cost $8.58 to drive 100 miles when gas was priced at $2.81 a gallon. Conversely, a mid-priced EV, such as a Nissan Leaf or a Tesla Model 3, would cost $12.95 to drive 100 miles when adding the price of a charger and other peripherals. Consumers point to a lack of infrastructure as one of the biggest obstacles to electric vehicle adoption. Okay. Additional thoughts. Previous studies have stated that it's cheaper to drive an EV than a conventional car. But Patrick Anderson, the CEO of Anderson Economic Group, who switched to an EV himself last year, says the most studies are just looking at the cost of residential electricity and are not factoring in the additional costs. Excuse me. That most studies... Uh, okay, are cost of residential... Not looking for, okay. Anderson also points out, however, that it's better infrastructure around electrical vehicles were set up, such an increase in reliable commercial charging centers, the cost of owning an EV would come down. And electric vehicles are still more environmentally friendly than gasoline-powered cars and cost less when it comes to maintenance. Okay. So, pretty straightforward as far as, like, here, here's the bullet, here's the key details, and here's some of the bullet points from additional thoughts. But there's more to consider. And let's just kind of dive into it a little bit more. So, right now, let's just say, all right, here's the bad thing. This is when gas was 281 a gallon. Right now for gas for 89 tests. So you got 87, 89, and 93. Or 91. 89 is around like 350, 350, 360 a gallon where I am. It can be a little bit lower if I go up north, which I generally do, and I gas up there. So this is this was done, this comparison was done at 281 a gallon. 281 a gallon is not here right now. Like I said, supply chain issues and assholes in charge. That, at, at this point, driving the price up an additional 60 cents per gallon. So, that's a point towards electric vehicles. However, the price of electricity, and then the, the demand for electricity, will also go up as too, up as well. That's a point for petrol. So, at the end of the day, you need electricity. It has to be generated. That price has gone up. You need fuel to, to get your vehicle moving. That price has gone up as well. Both require demand. So, what are your answers here? Well, there's a few. And also, what I would also agree with is a proper balance because you have to you have to uh, drill for oil. You also have to dig for lithium ion. Okay, and that's not an easy process either. Digging for lithium ion is a is a is a is a tedious task. Lithium ion batteries are safe to a point when they're ruptured they blow up or they burn that's what happens when lithium ion is exposed to oxygen so you have to be very very careful however i'm not going to talk about the dangers of a car you drive a car it gets hit wrong it blows up 
this is the thing that happens. A fuel car, a, a car with gasoline in it will burn. A car with lithium ion on it will burn. That's just how it goes. Are both super fuel efficient? Yes. Would I like to see more electric vehicles on the road? Yes, because I think there's a lot of cars out there that would benefit significantly from just being electric. Even though electric cars are generally... Uh, what do you call it? More... They're heavier. But, I mean, come on. I have a, a Lincoln Continental, which weighs like 4,000 pounds, I think. Significantly heavy. But... That's another thing to take into account. Where are you getting this? Where are you getting this lithium ion? Is it quality? Is it still going to be uh, just as fuel efficient? It is a heavy vehicle. Is it is it going to be able to handle? Uh, is the lithium ion going to be able to handle that type of weight? Are you still going to be getting your bang for your buck as far as miles per gallon? Most likely, from what I've seen, lithium ion has no problem pulling heavy weight at all and getting excellent mileage doing so. But the benefit of ha of having a petrol car is petrol's been around for a long time. It's been, I guess you could say, perfected on large engines and on very small engines. A lot of engines right now are, are getting, like you, you, most of your Ford Escapes, they come in like a 1.6 liter. Some engines are even smaller. 1.6 is a very, very tiny engine. Those first started showing up in like Honda Civics back in uh, the late 90s. Now... I think we should have an extra infra a better infrastructure of electric. What's going to power it, though? You need power plants in order to put get these things popping. You need the juice in there from somewhere. How are you going to get that? Coal? I mean, you can have coal plants if you want. You can have clean coal as long as you have carbon eaters. If you have carbon eaters or things that clean up carbon, it could work, you know, possibly. That is one way of looking at it. But most likely, nuclear power is an answer. You're going to have those SMR, I believe it's SMR, not ASMR, SMR nuclear reactors. They're smaller. They're cheaper to build. However, SM, any type of nuclear reactor, after a while, you have spent fuel. That spent fuel needs to go somewhere. Yes. Is it cleaner? Yes. It, is it cleaner? Yes. Is it safer? Yes. But you have spent fuel. Once that depleted uranium or plutonium or whatever you're putting in those reactors is depleted of all of its use, all of its fuel, it's got the, the rods and the pellets have to go somewhere, and that has to be stored. So the question is, where do you put it? Now you also could argue, well, there's also solar energy. That is also true. There's also wind energy. That is true as well. So when you take all of this balance... I think you I think you could really strike an excellent balance if you continue to use petrol because it's there's a lot of petrol engines on the road. They're excellent, especially for cars like mine. It's reliable. There's an infrastructure for it. We have the ability to produce it all here and not rely on outside countries like OPEC. You also have to understand that petrol it's not just for gasoline. It's not just for oil in general for your cars, but it's for everything. Petrol is a, it creates plastic. It creates polyblends. It creates everything. It creates the plastic that makes the Aquafina bottles. And then those Aquafina bottles get melted down after being recycled, and they get turned into little tiny pellets. Those little tiny pellets get shipped off to factories like, for example, Foss Electronics is a company here in this state that takes all these recycled uh, bottles that have been turned into tiny little pellets and it makes carpet for cars. It makes uh, all that fabric that you see at Joann's Fabric or Michael's Arts and Crafts or the Hobby Lobby or name this other store. They make all those fabrics, all those polys. It's amazing. It's like, okay, all of a sudden, uh, recycling actually has some value. It does, truly. All those Aquafina and those Dasani and those Gatorade bottles, they get turned into pellets, shipped off to these factories, and they make amazing fabric, pro amazing products, fabric. Name your color. 
And I mean a lot of it, too. Like thousands and thousands of tons. And then it gets shipped out to places all over the United States. So the idea that this is all petrol-based, this is all plastic, this is everywhere. The Model 3 has some of these parts. The, your, petrol, your petrol engine cars have some of these parts. The hydrogen power will have some of these parts. The jackets, the clothes, the shoes. Everything that you do has some of, these, has some of this petrol in it. So understand that petrol is in your life in more ways than you realize. Hell, your electric car could be made of petrol. That's true. Very, very true. So these are things to take into account. However, with the proper balance of gasoline and electric and hybrid vehicles and other alternative energies, I think an excellent balance of being able to car capture carbon, take vehicles that don't require petrol engines, like, for example, a Ford Mustang requires a petrol engine, a Camaro, a Corvette, that requires a petrol engine. However, there are other cars out there that are more commuter cars than anything or that are more luxury sedans than anything. Like, for example, I think like the Mercedes SL500 or, excuse me, the Mercedes S500 or the Lexus um, ES400. ES? I think it's the ES. Uh, that is another car. The Ford Explorer. The small... Um, there are other cars like that. Basic commuter cars. Buicks. That should all be electric or hybrid. I truly believe so. Those can all be electric cars. They're all designed to be quiet. They're all designed to be just quiet commuter cars. That would cut down on noise pollution significantly. And it would give also more value to a petrol engine like a Ford Mustang or a Dodge Charger. Where those things are designed to have a primal sound to them. But you'll have that balance. You'll have a true balance. And then from there, you won't have to do... You, will, you won't have to completely rely on electric, which means you won't have to completely rely on lithium-ion, which requires all that digging to get that basic material. And you know there's a kid at the end of that chain basically going into these tunnels and just digging this shit out. There's always the lowest bidder on these things to go and get those materials that help build these Teslas, that help build these, you know, Priuses. So, to have that balance, I think is super important. But I think right now the cost of everything is just way too damn high, you know. But that's due to the that's due to inflation that is not transitory anymore. The the te the price of charging your Tesla is high. The price of uh, fueling your car is high so and the price of the materials to build the car is also high so these are all things to take into account you're fucked either way so but there is a new contender in town and i know that toyota has been working on it and toyota has always been at the forefront of innovation and they're actually going to be i may have uh you know, dropped a link for this, you know, early on, uh, a few weeks back or a couple months back, but Toyota has been, uh, working, actually not, well, who's working on the zero carbon engine? Porsche. This is Toyota entering a hydrogen powered, uh, car into an endurance race. Turbo three cylinder, not a fuel cell stack. So a turbo, a turbocharged three-cylinder engine, it's actually not bad. Depends on how much power can a, a hydrogen car put out. Well, if it's only three cylinders, probably plenty. So Toyota's all-new electric BZ4X uh, might be one of the most important Toyotas in his, recent history. But the Japanese giant is still make, taking a two-pronged approach to green fuels. Not only does it refuse to let go of hydrogen, the hydrogen reins, it's entering a hydrogen-powered car into one of Japan's most popular racing events next month. Just a few days after the BZ4X reveal, Toyota announced it's developing a hydrogen-fueled turbocharged engine for use in the Corolla Sport, in a Corolla Sport, similar to the U.S. market Corolla hatchback race car. Notably, this is not a hydrogen fuel cell. Like the Hyundai Nexo or Toyota's own Mirai, 
It's a more traditional internal combustion engine complete with cylinders, pistons, and valves. The main difference is that the turbocharged inline three will burn hydrogen instead of gasoline. So you're still going to get that sound, which is super important. Toyota says that it's that except for a negligible amount of lubricating oil burned during the combustion process, the three cylinder will produce zero CO2 emissions. Otherwise, it will have a similar feel and sound as an internal combustion engine, but Toyota adds that the hydrogen engine might be more responsive due to the faster combustion of hydrogen fuel. Fuel to the fuel to power the car will generally will be generated at the Fukushima Hydrogen Energy Research Field in Nami Fukushima Prefecture. The facility produces hydrogen via a large solar panel array, so all the fuel will be made from renewable, renewable resources. The hydrogen Corolla will race in round three of Japan's Super Taiku Racing Series next month for a 24-hour enduro at Fuji Speedway. Super Taiku has been the staple of the country's motorsports diet since the early 1900s, 1990s, excuse me, growing alongside its booming tuner industry. Booming tuner! Quote, by honing its underdeveloped hydrogen engine in the harsh environments of motorsports, Toyota aims to contribute to the realization of a sustainable and prosperous mobile mobility society. So, that's the BZ24, uh, BZ4X. That's the actual uh, electric car, which makes sense. But I think that the introduction of hydrogen power would be excellent. And I think that it may, for cars that really do rely heavily, as far as their image, on internal combustion engines, may consider going with a hydrogen conversion kit or going with a actual hydrogen swap altogether. So that is something to think about. Definitely something to think about. And it's worth considering. I mean, pers personally, I can never see a Ford Mustang with an electric engine. I could see it with an electric supercharger, but not an electric engine. Just doesn't work. That car is not designed to be silent. However, if you had a 5 liter or a 4.6 liter or a 4 liter hydrogen powered Ford Mustang V8 that made a th that throaty 400 horsepower type of sound, 300 horsepower type of sound, 500 horsepower with a supercharger type of sound, I'd be I would be fully on board with that. To me it would still be an internal combustion engine just with hydrogen. Makes no difference. So, that is something to consider, but these are this is a small Toyota that doesn't require a lot of uh, doesn't require a lot of cylinders. However, a Mustang should be a V8. So, if it if it's able to be better, more fuel efficient and more powerful on a hydrogen engine, leave it as a V8. Don't make it a... I don't know if it'd be a, a, a V7. Definitely not a V6. There's a, there's a stigma about V6 Mustang drivers. So that is something I would consider because it would, still, it would keep the soul of the Mustang. It would keep the soul of performance cars that were designed to sound a certain way, drive a certain way, feel a certain way. So, uh, with that being said, we're at 35 minutes. We're going to go ahead and move on to some Q and A for this week's podcast, and we'll go up, I'll go ahead and get out of here. I'm still working on this, uh, working on this scratchy voice, so I'm trying to keep it all toned down and not go ahead and screaming. Um, so in the meantime, let's go ahead and move on to some Q&A. Supporting the podcast is easy. Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. You can email me directly, positivesarcasm at outlook.com. I was, um, we were going for a walk early, uh, a few days in the afternoon. And like I said, there's a shit ton of rabbits around here in, in uh, Hampton Beach. And one of them came flying around the corner. And it just, it it was running. And it, it basically, it, it was all Chase would have had to done, what had to have done, is just open his mouth. This rabbit was gonna run right in there, but he just came around the corner. He's like, oh, nope, and just took off. And he just ran right into this dude's path. Hilarious. So let's go ahead and move on to some Q and A. We'll close up shop for today. Let's see, go ahead and move that on. <clears throat> Dig.com Q and A. Here we go. Am I responsible for my cousin's choice to put a light bulb in his mouth? 
So I, a 19-year-old female, my husband, 22-year-old male, were hanging out last Friday. We were just chatting away while eating some nachos. I bring up how you can fit a light bulb into your mouth, but you can't take it out. He just says, huh? And we continue talking. Well, I guess he didn't believe me because he tried it Tuesday night. From what I could gather from his story, he started yelling and his mother uh, came upstairs to check on him. When she saw that there wasn't a way to get it out, she took him to the ER. I'm not sure how, but they removed it without hurting him. He called me up yesterday and he was pissed. He said if I didn't say anything, that he, uh, then he wouldn't have tried it. I thought it was total BS and he started arguing back that he made a stupid decision and that that wasn't on me. Well, my aunt was in the same room and he gave her the phone to talk to me. She explained that it might have been his decision, but I still opened the door for it to happen. She compared it to someone leaving a drug on the counter and how it, it's both the person who laid the drug down and the person who used it. The analogy made sense, and I feel guilty right now. However, I'm still torn on whether or not I'm the asshole or not. I feel like I'm being stubborn and I'm not sure what to think. Well, okay. Let me just make something very clear. If you leave, I don't know, uh, psychedelics on the counter. Let's just go even that. If you leave a bag of peanuts on the counter, knowing that your cousin is allergic, then you should have known better. If you leave drugs on the counter, any type of drug, alcohol, wine on the counter, that person takes it. That's on you. If you talk about peanuts or you talk about uh, alcohol or drugs and they go out and do them, that's not on you. If you're not encouraging them to do it, then it's not on you. If you talk about putting a light bulb in your mouth and this person does it, that person's a moron. That's a dumb person. That's a dumb thing they did. How dare you... Give me an idea to do something stupid. No, you put a goddamn light bulb in your mouth. What makes you think that was a good idea? Whatever, whomever gave you that assumption. This poor girl obviously did not. This person is 22 years old. Granted, your brain doesn't fully develop until the age of 25. But still, you don't put light bulbs in your mouth. How fucking dumb are you? You don't put glass in your mouth. That's a hella dumb. So I don't blame the cousin um, who stated that you can't take a light bulb out of your mouth at all. This person is not, not at fault for any reason whatsoever. You just don't put a light bulb in your mouth. There's no reason to do it. None. Other than you're stupid. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. How should I handle my necrophilia kink? I'm a woman with a necrophilia fetish. I know it's rare, but it is me. Nothing turns me on except for dead people. Um, <laughs> never mind. Especially the corpses of younger men. I've never been able to have a real relationship because of this. I work in an industry that allows me freak to frequent contact with dead bodies. Although I have managed to behave myself thus far because I have a, a decent level of self-control and I'm never totally alone with bodies. Anyways... Still can't help but occasionally sneak in when a feel when I can't where I can. I still fantasize on the job. I often feel both conflicted and frustrated about my fetish. In some ways, I love it. My work turns me on, but I also hate that I cannot even talk to anyone about this. None of my friends would accept me, and my coworkers would absolutely have me fired. I tried joining a BDSM club last year in hopes I could find new friends who could be more understanding of odd kinks and maybe even role play. <clears throat> but the, this did not work for me. I have a hard time connecting with people. And I know, and the thought, the more I thought about role play, the more it didn't appeal to me. Knowing the other person would still most definitely be alive, warm, and with a pulse, no matter how realistic that could, it could act. So that I just felt like I've been keeping this deep, dark secret bottled up inside me that I cannot share with anyone and cannot outwardly express. I suppose my question is how does one handle having a fetish like this? It's surely not going away. In a perfect world, I'd love to be able to fully embrace and express it in a way that is safe, legal, and not harming anyone. But the world is far from perfect. And I feel that if I say anything at all to those I know, it's only going to cause me in a, a world of hurt and a lost career. I've dealt with a lot of personal demons over the years, but this has been f by far the worst. 
Well, let's see. Well, okay. Look, this is a tough one. Not a lot of people have this issue, or not at least not a lot of people claim to have the, this issue. Talking about cop, you're you're a female copying a fe copying a feel of dead people. Well, all right. Let's take it from the position of the family, of the person you're copying a feel of. Um. Well, I'm not sure they fucking care. Do they really care that you fondled some dead dude? But you still, dr I mean, why would he care? He's dead, and why would they care? I mean, I get it if the woman was, if it, she is the widow of her husband and you were kind of fiddling with his bits, then, well, I get, look at it this way. If you are a necrophiliac and you are fiddling with a dead man and his wife found out, that's cheating. So you, che you were cheating. He wasn't cheating, but you were cheating. You were a cheater, even though he wasn't cheating because he's dead. But you know that he was married, and you cop a feel, you're cheating. Well, so let's look at it that way. If this is your fantasy, and you want to fuck around with a dead guy, then you're cheating. So if you're going to fondle a corpse, don't fondle a corpse that is married to a live woman. I, I guess. I mean, that's look, if the guy is single and dead... By all means, have at it. Jiggle his balls, poke his poke his pee hole, you know, squeeze his nipples, sit on his fucking face, do whatever you want. The guy is dead. You know? And if apparently he can still get action when he's dead, I'm sure. I'm sure nobody would be too upset. I mean, I know we're this is a difficult subject. You have a difficult problem, but there are rules in place. And if you have a, if you have feelings or sexual fresh, uh, uh, things towards dead people, well, then you need to respect the dead people as if they're living. Now, can you rape a dead person? Well, we'll deal with that subject later. But if they are married and they have a, a, a significant other who's living, then I think you should be hands-off. However, if they were, if they are divorced, if they are um, single, well, what do you, I mean, who am I to tell you no? If this gets you through your day, then you're not harming kids, and you're not cheating on uh, the living spouse. Well, then, who am I? I, I okay. Well, you, you do you, I guess. Are you harming anyone? Well, I've already put rules in place. And technically, I don't think you are. Technically. I'm sure I could be convinced, easily convinced, of the opposite of what I'm saying. But... Just off the fact that I'm wearing a really stupid hat, I'd say have at it. It's a, it's a, it, you're you're bottled up and you're trying to get it out. I don't know if 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 you are a girl that's into men. I'm not. I don't know how you. Well, let's face it. Dead guy obviously can't do certain things, but I don't know how you treat the scenario. I don't know what ple how this pleases you. I'm not sure how you're entertained or how you get off on this. I don't know if it's mental or physical or both, but there's a lot to be discovered here and discussed. But I I do feel like there's something that you can kind of get away with. And since you are a, uh, you're one of not so many, then I think there's something to be, there's something to be discussed here. And I'm sure if somebody, if some guy puts in his will that when I die, I want to be fondled, I'm sure 
that that request can be granted. So, um, good on you for coming up with it, but understand that there are rules, and those rules apply to some of the non-living. All right, move on to the next one. Why do so many women sexually assault my husband when he wears a kilt? Because he's wearing a kilt. I married a proud Scotsman who often wears kilts. When we go out, women think nothing of coming over and lifting his kilt, which exposes him to anyone with a who has a physical, a visual advantage. These women scream with glee and then become physically aggressive with their hands. Frankly, I'm shocked and horrified anyone would do this. The last time it happened, a woman ripped his kilt off and the police came, became involved. Originally, the police who were going to charge my husband with indecent exposure after several hours it became clear that it was the woman who assaulted my husband. The police kind of then kind of laughed it off. They didn't plan on doing anything further. We were furious. Why is there a double standard that women feel they can lift a man's kilt to expose him and call it fun? Yet the same woman who would scream sexual assault if a man lifted their skirt. <clears throat> women need to understand that lifting a man's kilt is sexual assault and should be treated as the crime it is. Now every time a woman does it, we immediately call the police and report the crime. The perpetrators are then shocked and angry that they are being arrested for a sex crime for something they thought was innocent, fun, and games. Your column reaches... Okay. Uh, with your help, we can help many women understand doing their sentence. Well. If that's the way... Well, first of all, lifting his kill... I'll, I'm going to put it to you like this. If he's a single guy and they're lifting his kilt, I'm sure this thing would be different. But they're not respecting the relationship. That's the thing. That's what I what concerns me the most. They're not respecting the sanctity of the relationship or the sanctity of the marriage. So by lifting up his kilt and looking at his jiggly bits, or touching them even further, or rip, or in some cases ripping off the kilt, that is unacceptable because the man is committed to a woman. And it or or man, I mean, you could do the two. You, you could be you could have two kilts in this relationship if you wanted to, but. It's 100% wrong if they're doing it and this man is married or committed. You don't do that. That's, first of all, I got a huge problem when it comes to shit like that. You guys know that from my history. That is something you don't do. You don't mow another man's lawn. You don't do that. You don't do that. So when they do this, they're disrespecting you as a woman who is committed to this man. So... I think the proper response actually is not to call the police. I think the proper response, if another woman comes up to your husband and rips his kilt off, you should beat the shit out of them. I think that's the proper response. Because then it could be like, why did you do that? Well, you assaulted my husband, so I assaulted you. And since this is one of those weird situations where it's a man that's being sexually assaulted and the police don't know what to do about it, well, I think the best case scenario is, well, give them a taste of their own medicine. Or if they're wearing, if they're wearing a dress, go and lift their dress. But I think best case scenario, if they lift your husband's kilt or rip it off, eh, fuck them up. I don't care. Move on to the next one. <coughs> Should I tell my former company about my old boss's wildly unprofessional Twitter account? Okay, I'll make this one real simple. Real simple. Um, if you want to be a child, yes, go ahead and do so. Problem is we have too many children in this, in this world right now who are doing childish shit. And these people uh, make a lot of money. And they're children. They're acting like children. If you're leaving a job, and I'm not even going to read this. This isn't your job. It's not your business. Don't get involved. People are going online to say stupid shit and, and leave it alone. Do not get involved. If this is not your company and it wasn't directed towards you, then don't get involved. And... Let the other people handle it. If there are people over at that company that it directly affects them, it's their responsibility to do this. If they request that you do it, okay, fine. 
But if this is not your problem and it doesn't affect you, don't get involved. Okay? That's it. So for the most part, don't get involved. It's not your thing. Move on to the next one. Should I loan my untrustworthy husband $130,000 without formal documentation? Holy shit. It's a lot of money. My husband and I have been building a house. We signed a contract after returning from our honeymoon. I make a quarter of what he makes in the nonprofit sector. And I have lived frugally in hopes of having my own home someday. Good for you. It's a good dream to have. My husband owns his own home. So he's bringing the equity of the sale from the sale of that home to the purchase of our new house. I have cash assets. And then we agreed I would bring 25% of the cost of the new home to the table. Additionally, he wants to front his portion of our new house, 130 grand, until his house sells, and then he will pay me back. Normally, I would do this without blinking an eye, but my husband revealed something about his character that filled me with distrust. Distrust. His father sent us a Christmas check as a gift. According to the instructions of the card, each of us received $100. My husband never gave me the portion that he allocated to me. I mustered up the courage to ask him about it, but he brushed it off. Seems like a small thing, but it has bigger implications. What happens if I loan him 130 grand and it doesn't pay me back? This is a large portion of my retirement savings. I feel like a jerk asking him to sign a promissory note, but I feel I can't front him this money without having him sign off on it first. Am I justified in asking him to sign this note? He's pushing for the loan. A realtor has told us that she should ask four to five days seller possession after close so we can stay in his house until ours is ready and directly bring his cash from the sale to the new house's closing. Okay, look. I truly believe that if I were to have someone sign a prenuptial agreement, I completely see a postnuptial agreement also being something that's fine to do. Okay, $130,000 is a lot of money. Nowadays, nowadays, it's perfectly fine, or just in general, I think it's perfectly acceptable to protect your personal assets, things that you spent your time earning. It's nobody else's but yours. Okay, nobody else's but yours. So I don't think it's any right for anyone to take stuff that belong that doesn't belong to them. And I don't care. You have a small amount of money if there is a divorce that goes to them so that they can continue on for another couple of years going from there and adjusting to their new life but that money is yours and nobody else's if you're going to give this person 130 grand whether or not you are suspicious of them 130 grand to take care of the house then you have them sign a note that's all you have them sign the note because what if you just give them the money and that's the end of it and you never get it back? You have no legal recourse. So best course of action is he'll pay you back the money and that's the end of it. Because if he doesn't and you have no recourse, you're, you're fucks, Phil. You have no recourse. So I would just, yeah, absolutely. And you shouldn't feel bad. He should be more than, he should be more than happy to be like, yeah, of course I'll pay you back. Yeah, I'll sign the thing. Totally fine. I totally get it. Right? It's your husband? Does he trust you? Yeah. Sign the note. Do one more. What do I do? What do my teenage son's incomprehensible text messages mean? The other day I was in the bathroom and I noticed my 16-year-old son's cell phone in there. I've done that. So after washing and drying my hands, I found him in his room and gave the phone back. While I was about it, though, he got a text, which looked completely gibberish to me. I asked him about it. Kevin laughed and said that it would take a long time to explain. This was an inside joke with some of his friends. It's been a long time since I was a teen, but I remember that sort of evasion. And after asking him about it some more, he still wouldn't explain, but forwarded me a log of the text because it was, wasn't a big deal, just a laugh in his words. I looked over the log twice, and now my initial expression of his being gibberish is only intensified. I share three of the text's samples, but they are equally incomprehensible. Quote, Why do you lefty pool carnal mansa soil the rope royal turnip? Quote two, considering the hyperperfusionality of the sodent anase, we require a meat spin immediately. Quote three, yes, not spill with the Samoji pilful hair. Seems like they're just having fun. 
Half of these aren't words I'm familiar with. The other half makes no sense. Sounds like Cockney. Half the other half makes no sense. I'm sort somewhat comforted by Kevin treating the whole thing like a joke and showing it to me immediately. But he's still being evasive about it all. Mostly, I just wanted an outside opinion to check and see if this is something weird or important. It's weird or unimportant. I just... I don't think there's anything to worry about here. I, this is people being stupid, sending text messages back and forth. That's This is nothing that you should be concerned about. It's no big deal. Everything's fine. I, it's it, this, is, this sounds like stupid shit I would send. So I really wouldn't be too concerned about it. I mean, people send the dumbest stuff all the time. The stupidest memes all the time. The most weirdest inside jokes all the time. You have to be in that moment. In the context of the moment to understand why these are being sent. Other than that, you got no recourse. I would just leave it alone. The kid's 16. Anyways, we are closing up on 58 minutes, so let's go ahead and close up shop for this week. Thank you for uh, uh, you know dealing with me for the past couple weeks of this this stupid throat thing. Um, in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram if you're on there. Positive sarcasm, positive underscore sarcasm. Excuse me. TikTok at positive sarcasm. Facebook.com slash pos sarcasm. YouTube, Positive Sarcasm, Positive Sarcasm Podcast, and of course, Positive Sarcasm Reactions, music channel. Um, let's see, what else? Questions, concerns, comments, email me directly if you want, positive sarcasm at outlook.com, or you can just go to my website and send all the contact information there. You can also, posing music, uh, posing music you can email me, uh, no problem, I'll take care of you. Um, movie reviews, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, if you have any client services any done, such as uh, weddings, uh, email me directly, uh, com once again, and that should pretty much do it. I will close up shop for this week. So thank you for listening, watching, subscribing. If you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, anywhere where podcasts are available, such as Apple, Apple Podcast, uh, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, uh, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, anywhere. Seriously, I think even on Amazon. So anywhere podcasts are downloadable, you can like, subscribe, share, donate. Please go ahead and do so. In the meantime, thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing. And I'll talk to you all next week. Recorded here from the Sandbox, this has been a Positive Sarcasm Presentation.